Hey, we're starting this whole year out with Jesus said, but we started with a question that he asked people. Who do you say I am? And so I'll ask you, if you say Jesus is your Lord, then he says and you do. If you say Jesus is your Lord, then you come to him for forgiveness. You come to him for strength. You come to him with celebration. You come to him. If you think you're God, then you make him come to you. And this is a great day to repent of that. We asked, what could we do this year to help in this culture, in our own families, in our own church that could build us up? And it's the same answer every time. Just point people to Jesus. What did he say? And so we have this whole idea, Jesus said all year long. And so we're going off of what he said, and we're in the middle of a series you shall love, and it's leading us all the way to Resurrection Sunday, and he says you shall love. And so just as a a quick reminder, we started this out just a few weeks ago, not necessarily in the book of Matthew, but I'm going to go to the book of Matthew, Matthew 22, and literally at some point in all of the Gospels, you hear Jesus say what the most important teaching is. In Matthew 22, he gets approached by a scribe, a lawyer, a guy that understood the law. And so he steps up, 22.35, he says, well, the lawyer asked him a question to test him. Teacher, he's saying to Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, this lawyer had to recognize, like strength recognizes strength, right? So he's like a strong man in the law. And so he says, you're a teacher, you're pretty good at this. What do you say? is the greatest commandment in the law. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, Jesus said, depend all the law and the prophets. The entirety of the Bible hangs on these two things. Pretty sweet of him to just wrap it up for us like that, right? You know what he's teaching us to do is to prioritize love. Before we get into this, I'm here to tell you this is tough. I've talked to you about some, some tough stuff so far already. I mean, I, so tough that it was impossible for us to love God with all that we have. And so we're going to need Jesus for that. It's impossible for us to love our neighbors. We love ourselves. So we're going to need Jesus for that. It's really, really hard for us to love enemies. So we're going to need Jesus for that. He said something, though, right here that's going to come back today in a really powerful way. And for some of you, you're not ready for it. And I get it. God is patient but he's not blind. God is loving, but he's not afraid to be God. He's calling us to prioritize our love. And so what did he say was the most important commandment? Say it again. Love God. That first one is the first one on purpose. He said a second is like it. I mean, the guy didn't say, hey, what's the most important commandments? So Jesus, 
Like, did he give him a bonus there? Jesus like, look, this is what it looks like. You love me, you love God with all that you have, and then you love your neighbor as you love yourself. You take care of people. Who's my neighbor? You'll be the neighbor. Or even the enemies, yeah, them too. But Jesus said something absolutely stunning. And many of you have heard it. But I'm going to assume that quite a few of you haven't either. And so with an absolute shock to the system for some of you and an absolute reminder for the rest of you, I ask you to join me in Matthew 10. We're going to go 34 through 39. I'm going to, or 30, actually, I think I have through 40 on here. So I want to bring you to that. And then we'll unpack 34 through 39. Lord, have your way in us. Teach us even when it's hard. Maybe especially. I pray this in your name. Amen. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against his mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now, some of you heard that and you're like, oh, okay, that makes more sense. (laughs) The only reason why you laugh is because (laughs) you're And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Jesus said what? What did he say he came for? Wait a minute. I mean, we're not that far from Christmas. Isn't he? Yeah, let's just go to Isaiah 9, 6 and just confirm really quick, will you? Join me in Isaiah 9, verse 6. All these different names of the Messiah, all these different names of Jesus. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. That's such a beautiful picture of God in the flesh. A child is born, that's a human. A son is given, that's God. Jesus was given to us. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. That should give you some comfort in these unsettling times. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and there it is, Prince of Peace. Don't suppose that I came to bring peace. But you're the prince of peace. It's kind of hard to take. Why don't we go to another fairly familiar Christmas time passage. Go to Luke 2, 14 for me. You remember? It was cool, like Diana's up here and she says, come on, choir. I mean, Diana could read the instructions to the game Risk, and I'd be like... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
But as amazing as her voice is, we hear about some voices in Luke 2 that are literally angelic. And they're proclaiming, praising. I think that singing, a lot of people want to debate this around Christmas time. Whatever, praising God can be word, it could be singing. They were saying, glory to God in Luke 2.14. In the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Jesus said, don't suppose or don't think that I came to bring peace but a sword. He's the prince of peace, and these angels are proclaiming, praising, and saying, on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased. This gives you a little hint of where we're going. He is the prince of peace. He's Yahweh Shalom. There's oneness, there's peace with God through Jesus. I don't think you've caught anywhere in what we just read that everything's going to be peaceful here. To confirm that, let's go to Romans 5.1. You're like, gosh, I don't read the Bible that much. Welcome. <laughs> so I know for me, the Bible has been a very wonderful and very challenging 66 books to read. And I need Jesus to show me how. And I believe that the Bible is the Bible. I believe it's the word of God. It does not set up one person greater than the other. It sets up Jesus as the king, proclaims and brags and boasts on Jesus from beginning to end. And that we need him and that he loves us and that he wants us, but not all of us want him. And then he says stuff like we just read, and we're like, oh, that's hard. But listen, Romans 5.1 says this. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, just as if we've never sinned by faith in Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But not always peace with others. I know I've talked a lot about coaching baseball, but let me tell you about being a dad. It's a lot like coaching. Your kids don't know what they don't know, and you get to teach them. I took a picture of my son, Zachary, and my daughter, Natalie, at a funeral. It was their aunt's funeral, great aunt. And it was one of those disposable cameras. Do you remember those? <laughs> and it was like, it was dying. And it was really just foggy. The, you know, all the photos came out with this mist around it. And this one looked super cool. Zach's all... I don't know, what was he, 10? And Natalie's, I don't know, seven, maybe six, and she's all. And they're like, Dad, we hate that picture. <laughs> so it's prominently displayed on my desk. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, 
what? Why do you hate that? We're at a funeral, and you didn't tell us that it was going to be open casket. And so we're just all like unsettled, and you take this photo of us. That tracks. Yeah, yeah, I did that. But I learned something over and over again, but that day I learned it again. I need to be able to tell my kids the truth. I don't consider you my children. Some of you are old enough to be my mom or my dad, and some of you are old enough to be an older brother or sister. And a number of you, more than I probably want to know the percentage of, are considerably younger than me. But I'm not calling you my children, but I will say from a spiritual standpoint, I have a chance to lead by following Jesus. And so what I'm going to unpack for you in the remaining time that we have is me telling you the truth. And I hope you receive it. I hope you want it. Let's go back again to Matthew 10, 34. What did Jesus say? He said, do not think I came to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. You and I are not going to be at peace with the world. But we do have peace with God through Jesus. But he didn't talk about just the world, just people out there. Who did he talk about? Let's read it again, 35 through 36. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. This would have been found in Micah 7, 6 first, by the way. You could go back and check that out on your own time. But Jesus is the word of God and he's quoting the word of God and he's speaking it to these people as the word of God. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to consider this. Have you been at odds with people in your life that you love deeply including your mother and father or your children or your spouse or your in-laws over Jesus. Like they don't believe what you believe about Jesus. They don't believe what the Bible says about Jesus. And you do. And that's caused friction. Butting of heads. I don't know if you guys know this, but the Apostle John was called the Apostle of Love. I mean, in 1 John, he talks about love. In the book of John, he talks about love. He even calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> I mean, he's just like, yeah, love is it, right? And yet, he pointed out some significant hate. bring you to John 7 7 Jesus at this point is becoming more and more famous and infamous with the leaders and the people are like gosh he's so amazing he, and he preaches so well and he brings the truth and he's got authority and even casts out demons and he heals people I heard he raised somebody from the dead oh my goodness Jesus is amazing I hope he shows up 
And his brothers knew that, boy, if you show up in Jerusalem, you might get arrested or even killed. And so they're like, hey, Jesus, why don't you go up there? Nobody who's a big deal like you would stay here all quiet in Galilee. Like, it's kind of like index. Let's see who's mad about that. <laughs> but he's like, why would you stay here? And he's like, look, any time works for you guys. They said that because at that time, his own brothers didn't even believe in him. So he says this in John 7, 7. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. We'll go to John 15, 18. Jesus is speaking to his guys before he leaves. So much has happened in the book of John up to this point. We looked at a bunch of it when we were looking at the I am statements of Jesus. But in John 15, 18, he says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. This is Jesus, who is the God of love. This is John, who's the apostle of love. And they're making sure that they make us aware that hate is coming your way because of Jesus. And then go to 1 John. This is written while John is imprisoned. He's had a whole lot going on. In 1 John 3.13, John's talking about love and all that, and then he brings this one out. Don't be surprised, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. Why would the world hate Jesus? Anybody? What do you think? People don't like to have their stuff exposed. What else? Accountability. We don't really like that. We say we do until we get it. Everybody thinks forgiveness is a good idea until they have to forgive somebody, too. It's misplaced at best, right? Wrong. Okay. Craig S. Keener, a teacher, professor. I believe he was at some point a pastor. I don't know if he still is. I don't even know if he's still alive. But he has this socio-rhetorical commentary, which is just really a big deal today because people want to know the socio and even economical, cultural impact of Jesus' teaching and they think that some of it's rhetorical. And so this guy breaks it down in a way that's super deep, but I was able to kind of mine a gem for my brain, and maybe it'll help you. He said, the demands of the kingdom, this is Jesus' kingdom, by the way, are so offensive to a world already convinced of its rightness that they provoke the world's hostility. When you actually follow Jesus, 
Some dig it. A lot don't. Jesus said like this in John 3.19. It's not on the screen, but... And this is the judgment. The light is coming to the world, himself, and people love the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. We don't want to be told what's wrong. That's why churches that have a bunch of super, really positive, just... You can pick yourself up by your bootstraps, and while you're at it, you can call out to Jesus, and he'll give you your truck back, and your girl back, and your job back, and it's like playing the country song in reverse, (laughs) and everything will be amazing. Sometimes, but not always. You'll be at peace with God, but we're like, no, that's fine, but I want peace here. You might get that. But I came to bring a sword. And so I want to remind you that as just old as I am and as maybe not as in the city as I once was, I still grew up loving rap music. And I still love it. I don't always love what the world's offering because it's pretty foul. By the way, we were talking about proclaiming and preaching earlier. The world preaches. Don't get that twisted. They preach. Get what you can when you can. It doesn't matter who you hurt or as long as you're not hurting anybody, you can do what you want to do. And that's not true because sin hurts God and you and others always. But there's a group called the Cross Movement who taught me a ton of theology and a ton of practical doctrine. That means way to live out what you believe. And they had something in one of their songs, and I tried to find it, and it was so old. I think it's from like the early 2000s that I couldn't even find the lyrics. (laughs) But it says this, be careful how you word it because you might change the verdict. Jesus is love. And he's God. And when he says something that goes against what we want or what other people want, it's a stumbling block for people. It doesn't, I wouldn't do it that way. There's no way that that's what he's calling us to do. Like, have a standard for sexuality. Have a standard for marriage. Have a standard for love. Have a standard for life. Have a standard even for death. He's loving and he's forgiving and he's patient. And the reality for us is that many of us don't want to be at odds with people. And so what we do is that we compromise our faith with Jesus because he's so good and he's so loving and he knows what I really believe. So if I calm myself by not standing up for what his standard and what his word says, and people are like, well, Jesus never said anything about sexuality. Jesus never said anything about marriage. Jesus is God. So everything that was said in the Old Testament 
wait for it, Jesus believes. And he came to fulfill all of that. And yes, he's loving, and yes, he's forgiving, and yes, he's willing to watch you figure it out. But he's never once changed the standard. If anything, you read through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he ratchets it up. You've heard it said, don't cheat on your spouse. I say to you, if you are lusting after somebody in your mind or your heart, you've already cheated. That doesn't sound like an easy teaching to me. Hey, you've heard it said, don't murder anybody. You're right. But if you're angry with your brother or sister in your heart, you've already murdered them. But aren't you supposed to be angry and sin not? I didn't murder nobody. Right here we do. Write them off. Sadly, I will say this right now. Either somebody who's listening to it or will listen to it later, or somebody who's sitting here is probably hearing all this and going, probably not coming back. So that'll lead me to this. There's the offense of the cross versus being an offensive Christian. The cross is offensive, and I'll unpack that in a second, but offensive Christians are people that are just flat out the judgment police. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. Okay. That may very well be true, but how do you go about that with people? Let me read this to you. It's important that you and I would suffer, but suffer for Jesus' sake and for righteousness' sake, not because we ourselves are difficult to live with. You are going to be offensive if you follow Jesus. You don't have to add to it by being a chump also. Well, you are a chump if you're telling me what I'm doing is wrong. I may never actually tell anybody what they're doing is wrong. I may just have a different standard and they feel very convicted just being around me. So, really want to be around him or her or you. This is back to the demands of the kingdom are already offensive. Look, don't you want something to drink? Don't you want to smoke this? Don't you want to be with her? Don't you want to be with him? We should get together and talk about people. Was that a conviction laugh or... uh Shannon, I love you. You're amazing. All right. Listen. (laughs) Pastor Aaron struggles with these things himself. I'm going to bring you to Galatians really quick, lest I forget that there's a word of God that's so much better than the word of Aaron. You join me in Galatians 5.11. You might know that in Galatians 5, you hear all this wonderful thing about freedom. You hear this wonderful stuff about, like, 
Okay, it's not so wonderful to begin with. It talks about the fruit of our own flesh and the things that come out of us and the nastiness. But when we're in Jesus, where his spirit's in us, there's the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, patience, kindness, all of it, self-control even. But before we even get to that, he says, if I, brothers and sisters, still preach circumcision, and there's so much more to that, but he was accused by people of preaching, keeping the law for salvation. And circumcision was like the encapsulation of that because that's so very personal and so very costly. And if you don't know what it is, you can ask Kathy about it. She's really smart. <laughs> She's seen a couple. <laughs> But if I, brothers and sisters, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. And here's what the offense of the cross means. Anything that offers you salvation apart from the cross. Okay? Because if I can do something to be saved, then I don't need Jesus dying on the cross. That's why I won't say that baptism is salvation, because it's not. I do believe that it's important and it's valuable, and there's something fantastic that happens in that when you die to yourself and you're alive in Christ, and that's symbolism, but there's also something beautiful there. Taking this, I don't believe it's his flesh and his blood, but I believe there's something fantastic and wonderful that happens where he is present in both of those things. It's obedience, it's not salvation. It's proof of salvation. Good night. I got to get moving along here. But anything that offers salvation apart from the cross is us earning it. So the offense of the cross is saying that you can't earn it. Only Jesus could, and he did. And he loves you but he doesn't worship you. We'll go back to Matthew 10. And I'll try to land this thing. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I intentionally left out in Luke 14, where Jesus says, hate. Because it really what it means, he says, unless you hate your mother or father, unless you hate your brother or sister, unless you hate your spouse, and I don't think he says spouse, but he says, unless you hate them. Now, why would Jesus say hate if he said the most important commandment was love? Because in their culture, hate was to love something less. Matthew brings it right to our culture, he's like, look, you've got to love God more. And our big challenge is, how? What does that mean? It does mean prioritizing love the way Jesus does. Look, I live in a day and an age that the same stuff is happening to me that's happening to you. I've had loved ones 
who have completely different worldviews than me tell me that I'm being hateful if I don't affirm their worldview that's opposed to Jesus. Well, how's it opposed? Because it goes directly against what his word says. Whether it be something sexual like cohabitation, same-sex attraction that's acted on, or something even more volatile right now, saying that I'm not actually the gender I was born. I don't stand out and pick it, but when I get asked questions, especially by my own children or my own family or my own friends or people in my own church, I'm not going to be like, gosh, I really don't want to offend you, and I really don't want to be uncomfortable personally, so I'll be like, hey, you just got to do what you got to do. That's not very loving. But if I just say, oh, gosh, you're going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> what smells like smoke? Oh, it's your soul. It's on fire. <laughs> that sucks, and that's offensive. But what about, look, there's a better way. There's a way that doesn't seem right to us, but it is to the Lord, and it's called dying to yourself and trusting that he will give you life. He'll take your death and give you life. But I mean, this is what Romans says is a living sacrifice. The problem with living sacrifices is you're probably well aware is that we can get up off the altar and crawl away. We have to willingly lay down our lives. Listen to how Jesus says it. It's in other spots, so go look it up. But Matthew 10, 38, and 39 are wonderful whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me he's multiple times said not worthy of me by the way whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it you guys he's not asking us to give in to the way this world works He's asking us to die to it, and we're going to need him for it. I don't know if you know this, but when Jesus had to carry his cross, he wasn't the only one that had to carry his cross. When people were being crucified, they would have to carry some part of the cross because it was an admission that they broke the law. It was an admission, even if they were forced to do it, so it was at least implied that they admitted that they were under the authority of Rome. Jesus Christ says, take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. Admit that you're under my authority. I'm not at liberty to give you all the very raw personal details, but I've had to do this. And I've done it poorly. And sometimes I've done it better with family and friends. I've had people excited for me to help them with something in life, like getting married. And they're dishonoring the Lord. I'm like, hey, where are you at with Jesus? Oh, he's my king. Okay, well, this is what your king says. And this is what you're doing. This is a great chance, like, take up your cross, deny yourself, follow him. You're judgmental. Like, 
maybe, but this one isn't mine, actually. I mean, I agree with it, and I live by the standard, but it's what the Lord says. We're admitting Jesus is right over our own lives when we love him more than we love ourselves or others. What does that look like? Taking him at his word and living like it. Letting people know that, hey, I know this seems offensive and I'm not trying to be offensive, but I gotta keep first things first. Jesus loves me and paid for me, loves you and paid for you, and I wanna point you to him. So how do you move towards Jesus in this? I don't believe on a Sunday morning that there's really much of anything other than God's word that's gonna change you. And that's if you receive it and you live it out. If you want to talk more about this, if you wanna get to it, I have questions for you, but you could set up a time to meet with me. I'm not the only person who can talk to you about it. There's Christians all around you. I would ask you, Christian, unashamedly, if you're willing to talk to somebody of how hard it is and how good it is to follow Jesus and to love him and then love others. Would you please raise your hand so people around you know that they can do that? Friends, every, would, you, would all of you, just to make it less awkward, would all of you look around right now at the hands that are up? <laughs> all of you don't have to raise your hand because that might be a lie, but if you're willing to do this, okay, there's a lot of people. Get in the small group. Hallelujah. Look, hang around and come to the the newcomers start here meeting and you also get a donut and please eat them because i'm not trying to eat sugar but that literally i saw it in john's office and it was like aaron <laughs> what okay I have, a, I have a few things for you for moving towards jesus come to him first and foremost submit like surrender your life surrender the authority Give up your life to him. Like, Lord, I struggle so much with loving you. I love others. I love myself. I love my comfort zone. I love that my kids want to hang out with me. I don't want to live by your standard in front of them. You know who I am. Can we just let it be an inside thing? Give that up. Surrender your life to Jesus and ask him to help you to be a Christian without being a jerk. But you're still going to be considered a jerk by people just because you follow Jesus. Be strong. Be courageous. He's a rock of offense to people. So if you live for him, you're going to be offensive just by living for him sometimes. And so that's where the second step might be. Obey his call to put him first. Be willing and be willing to try and make mistakes at it. Honor him before or ahead of others and watch their eyes be open and maybe days or weeks or months or potentially years later they'll say, you were right. And you can say, it's Jesus is right, he loves you. He'll take you right now. Romans two says that his kindness leads to repentance. So for some of you, your step is that you need to be bold and share with somebody who asked you, is it wrong for me to 
is my grandma in hell? You don't have to tell them all that. You could tell them exactly what the Bible says, and you can believe it. You need to go back and probably share that with somebody. And then the final step. If you're not ready to come to Jesus, you're not ready to obey him, ask him to open your eyes, to open your heart, that you would want him. Ask him to help you prioritize your love. Let's pray. Yeah, Lord, this is not an easy one. My own heart, my own family, my own friends, my own church. Lord, I've done this poorly and by your grace at times I've done it well. Both of them have felt the same at times, oh Lord. I feel broken, I feel weak because I am, but you're strong. I pray for my friends right now as they're wondering, what do we do with this? How do we do this? What are we going to say? God, help us again not to be jerks and not to just start every phone call with, are you still living in sin? But that we would be real with you and who you are. The world doesn't live by your standard, and so our friends may not, and our family may not, but we do. Help us not to pretend like something isn't wrong that is, and help us maybe even more to live for what's right when it feels like it's wrong to people. God, you're so good and you're so loving and you're so forgiving and you're so awesome and perfect and holy and nobody gets your crown. So help us to bow to you and to live for you and to love for you and to remember that you're the one that said, I actually didn't come to bring peace. There's people who are gonna love me and there's people who aren't and they will be divided by that very delineation. And that's you, we want you. You're the one we bow to not people. Help us to remember that. In your perfect name I pray, amen.